listener production. Hey, listeners, just before we get started, I wanted to take a second to let you know this story is a little bit of a dark one um, and there are some twists and turns in there that are a little bit gruesome, a little bit gnarly. Um, and if it does bring anything up for you and you feel like you want to talk to someone about it, uh, you can always call 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732 um, and know that you are loved and supported. And if you need to skip this one, we totally understand. What do I say to begin? I always, always do this. When Rosie starts, when Rosie's here, she kicks it off by clearing her throat and saying, take it away, my dulcet tone to Donis. And it's like that is, it just hits the button in my head. 100%. And it all comes out most of the time. Like a switch. And then without that, it's like. Who am I? Yep. <laughs> waiting, waiting. Anyway. Hello and welcome back to Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which ordinarily Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. As you all know, Rosie's taking a little break. She is soon to be discharged from the spa um, and she will be back with us soon. But in the meantime, we've got a rotation of some really sensational guest hosts who are coming on board and this week... We have the one, the only, the perpetually frazzled Zara <laughs> McDonald Hello. from Shameless. Hi, hi, hi. What a privilege to be on this show. We're very, very thrilled to have you. I haven't seen you for years. Three years, I think, we yes. worked out before this. It's been quite some time. Lots changed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, things in your world have just been going nuts. So you've had so much incredible success. Um, so we should probably start off by talking a little bit about who you are and what you do. Please give us the gist of Zara McDonald. You'd think I'd be better at this by now. So as you said, I'm Zara McDonald. I co-host Shameless and I started a media business called uh, Shameless Media where we sort of create podcasts for young people, primarily young women, but young people. But the goal of Shameless was to always create content around pop culture. We wanted to talk about celebrity and pop culture Mm -hmm. and that's what we built our jobs around (laughs) almost accidentally, which has been... Amazing. So, yeah, we also uh, have a podcast at the moment called The Books That Changed My Life. We make another show called Everybody Has a Secret. And we've made a few other shows over the last few years. So it's been... It's been a big four years, but I just, it sounds like I love the sound of my own voice because I'm here as well. (laughs) So I must. I simply must. And obviously a lot of other people love the sound of your voice as well. Well, well, perhaps I was going to say before, perhaps not as much as they love the sound of your voice because you have... Such a beautiful, calming voice. Thank you very much. Um, Yes, I have heard that from people. It's lovely to hear that compliment. Some people, though, say it's a little bit too much and it just it's not safe for them to be behind the wheel of a car when they're (laughs) listening to Just the Gist because I put some of them to sleep. No doubt that most of our listeners listen to Shameless, um, so they'd be quite familiar with your work. But a lot of them might not be aware of the other podcast you mentioned, Books That Changed My Life, which is a listener exclusive, right? So could you maybe tell us a little bit about that series? For sure. So we've done two seasons of the Books That Changed My Life. And I think the idea from it came because Michelle and I love books. We love talking about books, but we also love talking to people about books. Mm -hmm. And I think for us, we realised that you can learn a lot about a person based on the books they hold very close to them. And it's by no means a particularly sort of snobby show. Mm. I mean, the books that changed my life, I'd put the magic faraway tree in there, you know, like they're just, just lovely stories. So we interview, um, and have interviewed quite a few high profile people about the books that they just love. 
And it's been fascinating because firstly, I've got this whole bunch of amazing book recommendations from people I really admire. And secondly, you learn a lot of a lot about people mm. just through some little kind of leading questions about those stories. Uh-huh. I haven't had a chance to listen yet, so please tell me what is the Gateway Drug episode from season one or season two that I should listen to first? I think, I mean, I love all of them. I've got to say that. I do think the episode we did with Will Anderson, um, I think that was in season two. And he... Is in a he's an incredible mind. He's an incredible comedian, but his candor was remarkable. The way he spoke about success and his own career and his own insecurities. Like I really hadn't heard him talk like that in mm-hmm. many areas. So I couldn't recommend that more. Not for us, but for for him. Uh huh. Terrific. And look, normally when Rosie's here, she serves us a breaking news segment at the beginning of the episodes. Um, And when she doesn't use that segment to give us stories about her quirky boyfriend, Caleb, or update (laughs) us on her ongoing battle with conjunctivitis, she tells us about her favourite news stories from the week. um, And we give a little reco every now and then as well. So I thought you'd be the perfect person to sort of fill that gap this week because we've certainly been missing that. Are there any stories from the pop culture news cycle right now that um, you'd like to share with our listeners that Uh, have kept you captivated? uh, I mean, I'm captivated by the celebrity news cycle Mm 24-7. The story that's on my mind at the moment, and I kind of, uh, perhaps by the time this goes live, the conspiracy will be solved, but I'm captivated by the conspiracy right now of whether Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson were actually holidaying in far north Queensland. Now, (laughs) just before we jumped on mic, you told me you're a bit of a far north Queensland fanboy. I am, There were photos of the two of them reportedly up in far north Queensland. So everyone goes, amazing, they're in Australia. So much pride about that. Our beaches are beautiful. And a cafe owner up in Cairns even came out and said, yep, they. I cleared out the restaurant. We had them here. And I was like, this is amazing. So good for the small business. Like, how good's that? It looks mm. like a really humble cafe that they've just decided to have brekkie in. And then it comes out, and this is the Daily Mail reporting, so we're still sort of, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Uh-huh. They say that they've contacted Kim's reps and they say Kim was never in Australia. He <laughs> might be here filming, but she has never been here in like three years. So I'm like, what's happening here? What is happening? Publicity stunt? If the cafe has just come out and made this up, I've not had greater respect for a cafe in Australia in a long time. Genius. Like, power to you. Way to get your name on every front page. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, and it becomes its own tourist attraction. Okay. I'm going to start following this one as well. Yeah, incredibly confusing at this moment. Okay. So does that mean no one knows where Kim Kardashian is right now? Well, she was papped in LA on Tuesday. Okay. So that would say she was in LA on Tuesday and then some people say, well, were they in Australia the week before? It's, it's, there's, there's like much to do digging wise. Okay. All right. Please report back. I will. you find out. Or I'm sure I'll get the update on Shameless yeah. next week. <laughs> where, by the way, just yesterday, I only found out via you guys about um, Britney's mum's comment yes. on her Instagram. Obviously, I'm so, so thrilled for Britney that she got to have that dream wedding. How beautiful was um, it? The photos were wonderful and just so heartwarming. So glad that she's getting towards this proper happy ending that she deserves. I can't believe the gall, the hide on mm. her mother to leave the comment she did on Britney's Instagram post. It's like incredibly manipulative, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like the public, like I just don't understand why it needs to be public. Like if you if you have such a strong relationship with your daughter, mm. 
that none of us really believe you have. As if that's not a text message or a phone call or as if you're not at the wedding. Yeah, right. It feels, yeah, it feels gross. Oh, it was not for your daughter. It was for your own optics. Uh, totally. And it backfired. I'm glad it did because that woman is a snake. <laughs> Say it straight. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it's time to get into the story now. I'm nervous. Oh, really? Well, I was told, I don't know if I can break the fourth wall. Surely I can. <laughs> I was told, don't Google. Yeah. Don't have any idea what's going on. And I said mm. to my boyfriend last night, should I Google? And he goes, no, don't Google. Mm. And I said, no, you're right. I should follow the rules. I should follow the rules. So I know nothing. Uh-huh. Well, good. I'm glad you're stumbling Wait. into this blindly. I will just warn you, it is a bit of a dark one. That's all right. I yeah. can handle it. It's uh-huh. Friday afternoon. You've got a glass of Pinot Noir. It's sitting in pretty in my hand. Yep. We're going true crime and this vibe just I'm in a black turtleneck. Right yeah. It works. Couldn't be more perfect. So in 2008, a young couple in Victoria went on a picnic out in the bush and they didn't come home that evening. And their families notified the police that not only were they missing, but each family had received some very threatening notes that were covered in some weird-looking occultish sort of symbols. And no ransom demands were made in those notes, but it was assumed that the pair had been kidnapped for reasons that were unclear. And just as the police were giving up hope that the couple might be found alive, a week later, they stumbled out of the bush with a very harrowing story to tell about what had happened to them. So this week, we are serving just the gist of the disappearance of Julian Buchwald and Carolyn Watson. In Victoria. In Victoria. Rural Victoria. Budgery. May I ask how long ago this was? 2008. This is... Quite recent. I wasn't that old. I should know about this. Mm, I was alive and lucid at that yeah, time. Yeah, like I could How read. did I not hear about this? Yeah. <laughs> right. It was a pretty big news story, but it certainly passed me by at yeah. the time as well. Yeah, it's embarrassing how much seems to pass you by when you realise these things. Uh-huh. All right. So, on a Tuesday evening, early March 2008, a very concerned mother out at Budgery, rural Victoria, like we said, very nervously pacing out the front of her property. She was waiting for her son, Julian, to get back from the picnic he'd taken his girlfriend, Carolyn, on, and they were a few hours late and it was going to be dark soon. Mother's worry. So, of course, she was starting to get more and more tense. She knew the picnic was planned to be in quite a remote part of the family's property where there's a waterfall and a bit of a rough, gnarly hike to Mm. get in and out of there. And she also knew there was no phone reception where they were going. So she thought something bad could have happened and it'd be really tricky to go out and find them. While she was pacing back and forth, she noticed there was an old plastic turpentine bottle sort of wedged in between two fence posts and scrunched up inside that bottle was a piece of paper which she pulled out and unscrunched and saw it had a typed message on it that was printed in red ink and the words were surrounded by these weird sort of ominous satanic looking symbols and this is what she read. Now if you don't like listening to graphic violent threats you might want to skip like 30-45 seconds ahead. The note said, You bloody couldn't leave us alone, so your son and girl went walkabout. You get Carolyn and Matthew back when we finish our business in the area, but only if you behave yourself and don't shit us around again. Tell everyone they're on holiday, don't you dare talk to the fucking cops again, and you'll get your kids back. 
shit us again and never see them again because we'll fuck the girl to death and burn her alive and the bloody boy will really enjoy to torture and sacrifice to our God to pay back a hundred times the hurt he did us when we picked them up. This is your last warning. Do what we say and the kids come back in a live condition. It's awful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, firstly, it sounds like something that's straight out of a horror movie that Mm -hmm. doesn't sound like I have to keep reminding myself that this is in Victoria in 2008. Right. That seems absurd. Mm -hmm. And I think in these sort of scenarios, I mean, surely with a ransom note or I don't know, I don't even know what we call this, just a note. Right. You'd almost prefer some sort of like, give me $10,000. And I'll give you your kid back because it makes more sense. That's it's right. like I know what you want. There's a solution, a transaction. But this like, is purely saying we've taken them and we'll give them back to you in a week if you behave. Yeah, and we just expect you to tell them they're on holidays and don't go to the police. Now it took her a minute to even figure out what she was trying to read because it is written in that sort of old school SMS messaging style that we used to use back when I was in high school, you might be too young to remember this, but back when, <laughs> like, you used to be charged per SMS message. Yeah, yeah, try yeah. To condense everything to For make sure. sure you weren't sending multiple messages. Plus, like, every character required up to four presses <laughs> of a button. So you tried to be really economical with the letters you'd use. So all the yours are you R's and all the mm. there's are just THs. So it's yeah. a little bit tricky to sort of decipher. But once the mum had deciphered it, it seemed to her that this must be addressing Carolyn's parents because it mentioned Carolyn with her name misspelled and Carolyn's brother, Matthew. And the threats of violence obviously just really ramped up Mrs. Bookfeld's anxiety and not sure too. Of course, she ignored the instruction not to contact the police and she rang them up immediately to report that Julian and Carolyn were missing and she'd found this menacing note that made her think that it looked like they'd been abducted. So the search for the missing couple started pretty much immediately. They were using helicopters, sniffer dogs, everything they could throw at this case and they scoured every centimetre of the Bookfold's property, which was... uh, 570 hectares, I think, like really, oh, that's really big. serious stuff. Yeah. So that took a few days and they didn't find any trace of Julian or Carolyn. So they expanded their search to the nearby properties. As more days passed, they still weren't finding any clues anywhere. All their friends and family were interviewed as well as their pastor because Julian and Carolyn were members of the same church. Mm. That's where they'd met and fallen in love. Everyone in both their families were very devout Christians. And when their pastor met with the detectives, he told them he thought the couple had probably run away to elope. Julian and Carolyn had talked to him a few times about their plans to get married but the timing of their wedding had sort of become a bit of a sticking point for the two of them that the pastor was helping them sort of work through. The conflict they had was that Julian wanted to get married as soon as possible because he really, really wanted to punch his V-card but not go to hell as a consequence. <laughs> of so course. He wanted to get married. The so guy's only human. Whereas Carolyn really wanted to focus on finishing high school first. Oh, gosh. Uh-huh, because she was only 17 years old. Oh, gosh. Whereas he was 22. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let so, the girl finish her high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reasonable, reasonable. Totally. Suggestion, yeah. They'd been together since he was 20 and she was 15, which oh. is a massive red flag for me right now, and I feel like your sigh said a lot right there. 
Yeah, it is, isn't it? The maturity difference between a 20-year-old guy and a 15-year-old mm-hmm. female is just mammoth, isn't it, at that age? Yeah. Like, I remember when I was 15, 20-year-olds seemed like they were 40 to me. And 22-year-olds, forget it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, their families allowed that. They supported the relationship um, and it was sort of agreed amongst all of them that they were going to get married eventually. But the pastor's theory was that they'd both decided that they simply couldn't wait any longer. They'd run away, possibly find a pastor elsewhere who was willing to overlook Carolyn's age because without her parents' permission and I think government approval, she couldn't get married until she turned 18. Then everyone realised, though, that that theory kind of falls apart when you consider they hadn't taken any of their belongings with them Mm. and their bank accounts hadn't been touched since they disappeared. So it really didn't seem that they'd run away at their own volition. And also, where's the note? Anyway, like the note's got to come from somewhere. Exactly. The note plays the big Who's planting that? Yeah, the cops were taking that very seriously and they were pretty certain that the pair Mm. had been kidnapped the only real solid piece of evidence they had was not only that note that had been left at Julian's place, but also a very similar menacing note that had been left on the front porch at Carolyn's place about a week before the pair disappeared. Oh, wow. It was printed in the exact same red ink and it had the same occultist symbols on it. I'll read this one. It's not quite as graphic. Forget what you saw in the pines. And, of course, forget is the number four. Of course. G-E-T what you two, the digit, saw in the pines those days and tell your wife the same thing. I have mates, with an eight, in high places who have destroyed the info you gave the bloody cops, but if you go to him again, I will make your life a bloody misery and destroy you and your family. You, my enemy, as Christian, accidents can easily be arranged, so you leave us alone and we leave you alone and we all have a great time. Now, when they got that note, they told the police about it because they were a little bit concerned, but at the time the cops told them it was probably just a prank because whoever had left the note had also stolen the left shoe from every pair of shoes that had been left out on the porch. Oh, that's eerie though. I would hate that. Yeah, like at the time they thought could just be kids. Now looking back with that second note that's appeared and now the disappearance, they go, oh, okay, there probably actually is something quite sinister going on. Well, you try to put yourself in their shoes, right? And like a note like that turns up just randomly in your letterbox. Mm -hmm. I would just simply, I think it might be a defense mechanism, just simply convince myself it was a prank. Like Mm -hmm. who would do that? This simply wouldn't happen in my life. Would you be the same? I think so. Yeah. Because it's, you know, you're going to sleep a lot better thinking, oh, kids were just playing a silly game than, okay, maybe there is some sort of occultist, satanic group out there who's targeting me and stealing just the left shoes from all of my footwear collection. Now they were operating under the theory that these kidnappers could be linked to one particular global Satanist organisation called the Order of the Nine Angles, or the ONA. Their logo was one of the symbols that had been scrawled on the notes and it's kind of like a circle with a bunch of different lines in the middle of it. And they are a a thing, like a registered organisation that's been around since the 60s and they have done some really, really terrible things in the last 60 years. But I don't want to go into it because they probably quite enjoy when people talk about how scary and diabolical they are. So I'm just going to call them a bunch of clowns. 
They were not known to have any presence or any members in Australia at the time. And so there was kind of this fear once these notes showed up that this kidnapping might be signalling the ONA's arrival in rural Victoria. Of, of all, all places. places. Right? Mm. And because they weren't hearing from these kidnappers, the police were getting increasingly certain that the couple had probably been killed and that that had possibly happened as part of a human sacrifice practice that the ONA claim they do in a lot of their literature. These poor parents. Yeah, they were going through the worst experience of their entire lives. And then seven days after they disappeared, a farmer was driving along near the Alpine National Park, which is about six hours away from the Buchwald property, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. And he was very surprised to see this feral looking man and woman staggering along on the side of the road. And he cautiously pulled over to talk to them. They were filthy, wearing ripped up clothing that had sort of been stitched back together terribly sunburnt and they told him their names were Julian and Carolyn. They'd been kidnapped, they'd escaped and they'd been on the run for the past week. And he took them straight to his farm where the first person they called was Carolyn's dad. Then they got on to the police who came to collect them as soon as they could get there. And Julian and Carolyn spent the afternoon and the evening at the cop station giving their statements about everything that had happened. And the story they told was blood-curdling. So on the day of the kidnapping, they'd been driving along the dirt road towards their little picnic spot, and they were very excited to have a few hours together in nature. Julian asked Carolyn along the way if she'd noticed that the deer in the paddock looked like they would spooked. And she said no, she hadn't noticed, but she understood that Julian would be on high alert for something like that because some of his family's deer had been taken by poachers recently. Mm. And they kept driving and passed what looked like a deer skin on the side of the road. And Julian stopped the car a few metres, sorry, a few hundred metres away from the deer skin they'd spotted, left the car running while he walked back to go check it out. Carolyn stayed in the car and when Julian still wasn't back after a few minutes, she started to get a bit worried that maybe those poachers were out there and maybe they'd attacked Julian or something along those lines. She saw some movement in the side mirror that caught her attention and so she kept her gaze there and a few seconds later she saw a man wearing cargo pants and a balaclava carrying a bag and sprinting towards the car. He went straight for the passenger side, pulled Carolyn out, threw her down on the ground, tied up her legs, tied up her hands behind her back, covered her eyes with duct tape and shoved her onto the floor in the back seat of the car. God, the poor thing terrifying. Oh, like everyone's singular worst nightmare. Absolutely, yeah. And she, as most of us would, assumed the worst, that she was probably going to be raped and murdered and Julian was probably also dead as well. She thought she could hear two people grunting and whispering and she thought she could feel someone sit in the passenger seat for a little while, so she thought there could be two men there in the car. After a few minutes, the car took off and she spent the next few hours in the grip of terror and also in serious pain because she was sort of contorted and crammed down into the bottom of the footwell. The car stopped a few times so the kidnapper could come and check on her restraints, made sure there was no risk of her escaping. 
and she could tell wherever they were going, it was clearly super remote because she could feel how rough the terrain was they were driving over. When they arrived, Carolyn was pulled out of the car, dumped on the ground, and she could hear the rapids of a creek nearby. Then she heard the car drive off, but it stopped after it had only gone, say, like 20, 30 metres, and the car was turned off. She heard footsteps walking towards her, and she was lifted up and frog-marched towards the creek. And this is when stuff got really scary. The kidnappers started cutting off all her clothes using a knife until Mm. she was completely naked. And she was already, understandably, absolutely petrified, but then the next thing she heard gave her an extra little shot of terror. She could hear the kidnapper was digging a hole. She assumed that was going to be her grave and she considered the very real possibility that she might be buried alive. And when the digging sound stopped, she waited for the attack to come, but then weirdly she heard someone vomit nearby and after like a minute or so, she then heard a weak voice calling out, Carolyn, are you there? Uh," And the voice sounded close, like maybe just a few metres away and it took her a moment to realise it was Julian's voice. Oh, my goodness. And she was overcome with relief that he was alive. She still had duct tape on her eyes, so she couldn't see him, but he told her he was tied up, his clothes had all been cut off just like hers, and he could see a knife on the ground in between the two of them. So he shimmied over towards her, got the knife on the way, put the knife in her hands. She helped cut the restraints on his wrists. So then he was free to cut her loose too. The sun was still up. So when Carolyn took the tape off her eyes, she was like blinded by the light for the first couple of minutes. And then when her vision adjusted, she couldn't see any signs of the kidnapper. And she also couldn't see any of her clothes or the remains of them or of Julian's clothes. It was just the two of them alone, naked, and very, very afraid. And, they, and no one around? No one around. No traces of anybody. The car? They didn't know where the car had been hidden. Wow. Mm-hmm. All that had been left behind was a very random assortment of items that they decided to gather up and take with them because they wanted to get away as quickly as they could. They took with them the knife, a sleeping bag, a jar of peanut butter, a jar of tahini, and a tahini. tahini. I can't even find tahini at the supermarket. <laughs> like, they didn't even know what tahini fair was. enough too. But they took it with them. They ended up disposing of it because they smelt it and it didn't seem to be something they were going to enjoy, so they left it behind. And a pillowcase filled with desiccated coconut. Just What the heck? This like, doesn't sound real <laughs> at all. But it... Like, I've read the court reports. To I, no, no, I, I totally believe this. Because I had the same thought. I, First time I read this story, I was like, you've got to be joking. These, these people would just this. be thinking that they're like not in reality. Like they would have to be thinking that something was going on. Mm-hmm. As in Julian and Carol yeah. would have to be thinking, oh, yeah. I mean, they're trying to figure it out as they're going. You think tripping. Yeah. Like, is this some sort of game? Yes. I mean, you seem to like this. Like, I guess Squid Game is kind of along those lines. I've only started watching the first few episodes of that and it really wasn't for me. No, same. Um, but like that whole, yeah. you know, being kidnapped, taken to a strange location and then competing in something that, what, is this going to turn out to be like the Hunger Games? 
Julian said, look, we just need to get away from here as quickly as we can. The kidnappers are very likely to come back. So they ran through the bush until the sun set and they found themselves a little hidey hole where they could spend the night and they each explained what had happened to them after Julian had got out of the car to go check on that deer skin. Julian said he'd bent down to look at the hide at the side of the road and someone, maybe two someones, had run up behind him hit him at the base of his skull really hard, knocked him out cold. So he didn't remember anything between then and the moment he woke up, vomited and found himself naked, hogtied in the bush next to Carolyn. And he had a little gash on his forehead, so his face was covered in blood, but he said he couldn't remember how that had happened. They figured he must have been shoved into the boot of the car because he wasn't anywhere near Mm. Carolyn while the car was driving for like six hours And they agreed that that must also mean that there had to have been two kidnappers to be able to carry him because he was a decent-sized guy. They spent the next four days following the creek but sticking to the high ground so they'd be able to spot their kidnappers from a distance and they were sure that they were being hunted. They could hear dogs barking every so often so Mm. they thought the kidnappers were using them like bloodhounds to track them down. And so every now and then they'd cross over the creek, sort of zigzagging, hoping that that would mean the dogs might lose their scent. And you can imagine what it was like during the days, scorching hot. So they were getting like compound sunburn on their unclad bodies that were super pale to begin with. And they were covered in blisters a few days into the trek. And then every single night it was freezing cold and they were sharing that sleeping bag naked, trying to share their body warmth. And every single night, Julian made the same suggestion that he thought they should maybe just declare their love and declare themselves married. Then and there, with God as their only witness, he tried to convince Carolyn that just saying the vows out loud would make it count in God's opinion, so it'd still mean they could go to heaven and they could have sex, of course. Right. There's uh-huh. so, I'm just like, my mind's whirling a little bit here. There's something a bit off about this marriage thing, isn't there? Mm. There's yeah. something a tiny bit off. Tell me what's going through your brain. Um, I don't love the sound of that, that being the priority as you're sort of fighting for your life. Mm. Not, that, not that humans don't have needs. Like, humans have needs and what's to say you don't want to get it on when things are really stressful. But for that to be your singular priority mm. every evening. Yeah. To declare your love, get married and have... I'm just... I'm intrigued by this. Yeah, Hollywood have would have us believe that a lot of people when they get, you know, really scared and find themselves in tense situations that they end up getting a little bit... Frisky. A little bit damp downstairs. <laughs> um, I don't know if that really applies to such a large percentage of the population. Certainly didn't apply to Carolyn. She refused yeah. night after night. Like, she'd been planning her wedding since she was a little girl and this looked nothing like the dream wedding she had in mind. Absolutely. Uh And it's one thing, dare I say, it's one thing for Julian to say it one time, to be like, Mm. I've had this crazy idea because we're in this, like, unfathomable position. Maybe I'm not thinking clearly and her to say, not for me, Mm -hmm. like, let's get this, let's get out of here. Mm. But for it to keep coming back shows a real lack of... Yeah. Respect, self-awareness, mm. all of the following. Well, he sort of intensified the argument each night because right. he was saying, look, we do have a really real chance of dying out here. Yeah. And 
if we get married, then we'll be together forever if and when we do die. Right. And also, I really don't want to die a virgin. Do you want to die a virgin? So that was I the see. argument he was using and it was kind of like the sense of urgency increased okay. with each passing day that they hadn't made it back home. But at the end of the day, mortal terror and third-degree sunburn and sweat and dirt were not on Carolyn's list of turn-ons. No. So she stood her ground, good on her, and she said no again and again. Julian even tried the angle of telling her, look, just from a practical perspective, if we have sex at nighttime, it'll really warm us up when it gets really That is cold. actually the only thing I was thinking of, the practicality <laughs> of it, to be like, if you are freezing, it is, that was the only thing. I, the, so that might have won you over. <laughs> the only points I would have given, given him is for that argument. <laughs> it's not, but that's it. Oh, but even that didn't work for yeah. Galen. So then on day five, Julian decided, it was probably going to be safe for them to go back to the spot where they'd been dumped because they'd made no progress getting anywhere closer to civilization. So he thought, look, our best bet is probably if we go back the way we came, the kidnappers are probably somewhere else by now and it'll be a lot easier for us to get back to a road, surely. So they spent the next two days retracing their steps and then when they got a few kilometres away from the spot where they'd been dumped, Julian told Carolyn to wait for him while he got up close enough to just make sure that the spot was definitely deserted. He came back about four hours later carrying their shredded clothes and Carolyn's handbag and he said he'd seen a red car parked at the site He'd heard a dog barking, but he didn't see any actual people while he was there. And Carolyn used the sewing kit that she handily had in her bag to stitch their clothes back together as best she could. She had a sewing kit in her bag? Yeah. One of those overly prepared people, I think. Then once they were dressed for the first time in a week, they started cautiously walking in the direction of what they hoped was going to turn out to be a road praying along the way that they wouldn't run into their kidnappers. And then, sure enough, a few hours later, they made it to a road, and then fairly shortly after that, our farmer friend drove along and found them. And then a few hours after that, they were in the police station giving their statements, and that evening they got to sleep in the comfort of a motel bed, and Oof. they were reunited with their families the following day. God. And by the following afternoon, the police had not only found the spot where the couple had been left and dug around for evidence there, they had also already solved the mystery of what had happened. Within, and, a, within a day. And completed the kidnapping. Yes, they had. I'm pretty sure at least 50% of you will have already figured this out by now, that the man in the balaclava, the man who tied Carolyn up and cut off her clothes with a knife, was Julian. Yeah. You picked it. I did, but I didn't say it on mic, so now it sounds like I'm lying, <laughs> doesn't it? But I, didn't, I also didn't want to say it on mic because I don't want to be wrong mm. in front of all your, your beautiful, smart listeners. Ah, no, there's well, yeah. Julian, mm. yeah. Oh, this is sounding awful. Uh-huh. Oh, it really, really is. He had staged this whole thing, the threatening notes, the deer skin on the side of the road, all of it from start to finish he'd set up just so he could get Carolyn to finally agree to just go ahead and marry him and forget about school. This guy! And most importantly, have sex with him. Yep, this 22-year-old man had tried to trick his 17-year-old girlfriend into becoming a child bride 
by putting her through some of the worst trauma a person could possibly experience. This is like so incredibly awful. I know that mm-hmm. sounds like the most obvious thing in the world to say, but I'm just a bit shocked about anyone would put anyone through that, particularly someone they meant to, to love. Right, that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And I am also consistently dumbfounded in stories like this about how someone like Julian thought people were just never going to find this out. Right. Like, people are smart. Mm-hmm. Like, people would work this out straight away. Oh, he made it so easy for them as well. Like, so I just have a million questions about this. All right, well, let's see if I can I'm sure you're about to answer them. As we wrap this up and, like, it's so hard to find the words. This guy is the human equivalent of an abscess. He's vermin, he's garbage, he's scum, and he's a total imbecile. Yeah, well, I'm sure you're about to tell me why. Mm-hmm. He'd kept a bunch of receipts in his family's house for the sleeping bag, for the duct tape, for the peanut butter. You didn't have to take the receipt from the shop. You could have <laughs> left it there. And then he held on to them for what tax purposes? I really don't Return know. Return after kidnapping? He kept them. His mum had even told the cops because she thought this was so weird that a jar of tahini was missing from the cupboard. He hadn't even bothered to try clearing his internet search history for things like bush tucker information and he'd researched the exact spots in the National Park where they'd been for those seven days. He'd mapped the entire thing out and they had evidence that he'd done so. And so when all this evidence was presented to him, he cracked and confessed pretty much straight away. He is a stupid man, but at least he was smart enough Mm. to admit what he'd done in the hope that he'd get a more lenient sentence. Can you imagine how hard it would have been for the cops to keep their cool while they were interviewing him, looking him in the eye and trying not to just completely flip out at this guy who'd assaulted and traumatised his girlfriend? 17-year-old girlfriend. Yeah traumatised both of their families as well and he'd wasted days of the emergency services' time out frantically trying to find them and it was all just to get his dick wet. Like, such a tool. One of the things that would have infuriated them the most, I'm sure, is that he kept telling them he'd done it all in the name of love and that he just thought this was going to be something that helped forge a romantic bond between him and the woman he loved. So... Clearly, this guy doesn't know much about love. Not right. Uh -uh. So he was indicted and tried, and they kept him in jail during the trial. But then he was released on bail while he was waiting for his sentencing because he claimed he'd been attacked in jail. The other prisoners had found out what he'd done and thought he was scum and wanted to tell him with their fists. And he said he was getting death threats. So they let him go stay at his family's home. They gave him a bed and a roof to sleep Isn't that an interesting one? Because it's like, I mean, it's always one of those crazy hypotheticals, right? It's like your family members, like your flesh and blood do something totally crazy. And it's Mm. like, what's your role in that? Like, do is it your role to give them the bed and the roof and just keep an eye on them? Like, or do you just say, not in my house, not in my home? Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know what I would do. I would like to think I wouldn't even 
entertain the thought of keeping them in my life. Yeah, but. it'd be so hard to overlook something like this, yeah, right? Yeah. This is just such an extremely cruel thing to do to a person. Because it's also like there's the cruelty that he's clearly inflicted on poor 17-year-old Carolyn, but it's also the stress and the anxiety and the trauma that he's put his own yes. family through mm-hmm. as well on top of that all. Like... That's just so awful too. It was done to it wasn't done to the same level to them at all, but something was done to them. Mm-hmm. And obviously they were able to forgive to a certain point. Yeah. They were willing to take him back into their home. And then Julian found a way to show that he was even stupider than people initially realized. On the day of his sentencing, he didn't show up to court and no one knew where he'd gone. He disappeared. And the judge made it very clear that he thought Julian really truly was one of the dumbest, sloppiest, worst Mm. criminals he'd ever encountered. And now he'd gone and made it even worse for himself by skipping bail. And the judge handed down a sentence of almost eight years prison time and then added an extra six months on top of that for doing this little smoke bomb act that he'd done. And the police went out and started searching for him. And they got a bit of a shock a couple of days later when they found out where he'd turned up. They got a call from the immigration authorities in India to tell him that Julian was trying to enter their country using a fake passport. So he left the country? He left the country, yes. It turned out he'd somehow got his hands on a passport that had been stolen from an Indian tourist that was visiting Australia. And Julian dyed his blonde hair jet black and he doused his alabaster white skin in an offensive amount of fake tan, tried to make his appearance look as close to Indian as possible to match his new identity. I love the facial expression you're I'm just like blown away. In what world is that going to work? It's just awful. Shocked. (gasps) Oh, here's the thing. He got a headshot sporting this new look and then he just glued that photo into the stolen passport and he made it all the way to India via Singapore before anyone clocked what was going on. You are like, we know this guy is one of the most awful people ever. Mm. We know he is scum and you have said he's incredibly stupid time and time again. But how did he make it to through Singapore? Like, mm. how does that happen? <laughs> I didn't even think you'd make it through customs in Melbourne. Okay, so embarrassing for Australian immigration that they'd let him leave the country. And, you know, they were trying to sort of cover their own backs and say, oh, yeah, it looked sophisticated enough to us. And it was sort of, you know, a really badly beaten up passport. And so, you know, we weren't paying too close attention to, you know, feeling for different textural issues or whatever stupid excuses they were coming up with. And, of course, they just said, we'll look into it, we'll look into it, we'll look into it a lot. At the end of the day, they just hadn't noticed a really terrible amateur forgery or this terrible (laughs) fake tan job, which was very, very blotchy on his um, sun-damaged skin. Anyway, they brought Julian back to Australia and he did serve his full sentence, but his punishment wasn't over yet. When he was released in 2016, he was quickly deported from the country because he'd been born in Germany and neither he nor his parents had ever got around to sorting out his citizenship or his permanent visa in Australia. So technically, he was a German national. 
He didn't speak the language. He didn't have any money to his name either. He knew nobody in Germany. He did have some distant relatives, but why would they want to have anything to do with him? So he begged and begged not to be sent to Germany, but it was Scott Morrison himself who made the decision that Julian had to go. Possibly, I feel conflicted about this now. <laughs> You've really put me between a rock and a hard place. Because I don't. What are your thoughts? Well, the naturally complicated nature of that is, I'm not. I've never been a fan of how Scott Morrison was tough on uh, deportation and borders, but mm. but for this. Julian man, who was so awful, mm. just ongoing punishment never felt like a bad thing in my mind. So I don't know what I, I just feel complicated. How do you feel? I feel like it's poetic. Yeah. Like there's a poetic justice here that I really like because in a non-violent way, it mirrors what he'd done to Carolyn. Just, just looking at this yeah, individual yeah. circumstance, he was torn away from his family. He's dumped in a strange location. Completely he's, isolated. Yeah, yeah. Alone, scared. Metaphorically, he's been stripped bare as well. So I sort of go, suck shit, Julian. And if this is the one and only thing that I can applaud Scott Morrison for, then I'm as shocked as anyone else. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am. How applause. is that? That is just such a funny sort of twist of the story. Mm-hmm. The parents. I mean, I'm sure the parents weren't rushing to get his citizenship when they realised what had happened as well. It was impossible by that point. Yeah, right. So once he had that conviction under his belt, then there was no way they were going to give him permanent residency. I have a question. Mm. You may or may not know the answer, but when this was put to Carolyn Mm. straight away that this is perhaps, not perhaps, this is what had happened to her, do we know if she sort of tried to put up much of a fight, if she was in much denial because I can also imagine at that age if you told me the love of my life had been the one to inflict this incredible trauma on me Mm. your instinct would be to say you've got it wrong Mm. you've got it wrong surely right to the credit of her family and the media everyone was very respectful of her privacy yeah good so there's almost nothing out there well that's probably that's a wonderful way. Yes. People haven't been harassing her and she's been able to go back to having quite an anonymous life, um, which is wonderful. The one and only thing comment that I have come across is that she actually came to terms with it pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay. Like it all sort of added up for her. Yeah. And you wonder in those circumstances, if it was kind of not crossing your mind as it was happening, cause I'm sure there are a million things on your mind, but if something in your subconscious was like, it's not adding up, mm. you have to wonder in those kinds of things. That is just like, I can't. Yeah. That that would even how like where do you pull that idea from? How do you want to treat people like that? Like it's psychopathic. Just to get laid. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you know the Christian church he was part of that was so strict about abstinence. Like they've got a level of responsibility here because mm. you know he's been yeah. brainwashed into truly believing he cannot have sex until he's married. And then that became something that he was fixated on to the like, point that he'd go to an I? extreme length like this. So yeah. I feel like they've got a, a level of responsibility here. Did he stay religious? Do we know? I have no idea. Yeah. No, I'm not really sure about that. Because to do this, I guess, quote unquote, in the name of religion as well, like, oh. Was it a bit, it can't, like, this is the thing. As I'm sitting here, I'm like, as much as you can say it's about that, it's like it's also not at all about that. Like you're using that as a vessel to kind of get out these very violent 
tendencies you clearly have, mm-hmm. these gross ideas you have about the world mm. and power. Yeah. And, I mean, a level of narcissism to think that he's entitled to manipulate people in this way mm-hmm. to get exactly what he wants. Yeah, I, I have no idea what his pathology is or isn't. There's no report anywhere of any mental illness yeah. um, that's been officially handed down. But, yeah, I mean, we also don't even know what's happened to him since he landed So we just Germany. know he's in Germany. Yeah, he's gone off the radar and that was back in 2016. So, My word. Mm, he's gone to ground. But that... Dear Frazzled Zara was just the gist of the disappearance of Julian Buchwald and Carolyn Watson. I'm quite frazzled now. (laughs) It's a Friday afternoon if you've sent me into my weekend with that. That is just, I cannot believe this happened under my nose in 2008 in Victoria. Poor Carolyn. Here I, I just desperately hope she's living a wonderful, loving, normal life. Mm. And I hope he's not. Agreed. Is that fair? Yeah, I'm with you. If you want to find out more information about this, I'll post some links in the show notes. And the most comprehensive account that you can read is the court notes from the appeal that he yeah. launched because, of course, he tried to get his sentence reduced and he tried to restra- uh, retract his confession. You're kidding. As well. And said that it was coerced by the cops, which, um, I mean, they had evidence that it clearly wasn't because yeah, yeah. the whole thing had been recorded on video. Yeah. So, yeah, freely. Available for them <laughs> yeah. to grab. Um, he made it very easy for them to shoot holes in the argument that he'd been coerced. You can definitely read over that if you've got the time and the inclination, and I'll post a few other articles from around that time as well, articles from just after when the kids went missing to then when they'd been found, when he'd been tried, when he tried fleeing the country. So you can see some photographs of um, the dye job and the fake tan. The timeline of this for them must be just Mm. very interesting to go back to see how, like, when the news was starting to break. Journalists must have been like, what what is going on here? Uh Uh-huh, totally. But, yeah, thank you so much for coming on Thank you for having me. Your head must explode with these stories, that this is just, like, real stories. And I get very emotionally invested in them sometimes. And I get so furiously angry at some of the people like this guy who do just terrible, terrible things. But, yeah, it's always fascinating to come across these tales that I just had no idea about because I'd missed them at the time. You bet. I'm going to go home to a, a bit of a rabbit hole after this. I want to read more and more. I mean, you've done, although I should say you've done an, an incredibly comprehensive telling of the the story, but, gosh, I want to dig more. Okay. Well, like I said, I'll provide the links in the show notes, but I'll give you early access. <laughs> uh, before we go, where can people find you? Oh, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. You'll find a lot of bad memes that I don't post because I'm not allowed access to the Instagram account very often because <laughs> my sense of humour is not celebrated in the office. Um, and I'm not at all bitter about it. And um, you can find us, yeah, on all your podcast apps, Shameless. I mean, I've said a million different podcasts. We also are exclusive on the Listener app with the books that changed my life too. So you can find us on the Listener app and on all other podcast apps with Shameless. But thank you so much for having me. I got big, big shoes to fill with Rosie. Um, and I feel very privileged that you invited me on. Oh, we're so, so, so grateful. No. And who knows, we'll have you back at some point, maybe. Oh, please. We'll see. I don't mind being told a story too, so have me back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a great weekend. Bye. See ya. Listener.